Welcome back to The Art of Charm. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. And we are excited today because we are updating an oldie but a goodie, our value episodes. Now, these are some of the most downloaded episodes in the history of The Art of Charm podcast, where we discuss how to become a high-value individual, defining what we mean by value, and identifying low-value behaviors that we will see in ourselves and others from time to time so that we can strengthen who we are and present the best version of ourselves. Now, Johnny, if you remember, these episodes were recorded about nine years ago, so a lot has changed. Certainly has. And our goal is to update them with some stories of our journeys personally and developing our own value and self-worth and allowing other people to showcase their value in meeting people for the first time. A couple show notes. Jordan Harbinger has left The Art of Charm. He's created a new show on Podcast One and iTunes called The Jordan Harbinger Show, where you can expect those amazing interviews with thought leaders, experts, and celebrities doing deep dives into their expertise to give you knowledge to advance your career. The Art of Charm podcast is going to continue publishing toolbox episodes on a weekly basis where Johnny and I will be tackling how to improve your social skills, how to overcome social anxiety, build your confidence, connect with people with ease, and nail that first impression. We're going to be doing deep dives into social skills advancement to help you strengthen those soft skills and advance your career. And we may do the occasional interview with experts in these areas to help us overcome any of those sticking points you have when it comes to socialization. We're very excited to kick off this Toolbox episode. This is going to be broken down into a few parts. We have a lot to get through. And in the weeks to come, you can expect Toolbox episodes covering a variety of topics, such as becoming high-value individual, dealing with narcissism and narcissists and sociopaths, how to present yourself more fully and engage people on a deeper level in conversation, and how to sharpen your networking skills so that you can be more effective when you are out meeting people for the first time. So without further ado, let's jump back into value. It's almost as if it's our programming, right? We're installing new programming and the new programming we're going to install to be better people is going to become high value. And when we last sat down to record this episode, it was about eight years ago. As well. And our stories have changed a lot. We've grown a lot as individuals and as a company. And our views on this have changed subtly. So we're going to update our definitions and give you some clear examples of low value and high value behaviors in our own lives personally and in the company's history, because this has been such a pivotal concept for us in teaching our clients on bootcamp how to become better men, better individuals, and how to interact more effectively with people. And it's also one of our keystone messages. And it's an, also a message that others can get infected by and carry on and put that out into the world. And basically, it's like the cornerstone where all this can change. And when we started talking about becoming high value, there was a lot of other concepts online back then, but there really wasn't as much science backing up a lot of what we're going to talk about today. And Adam Grant did an amazing yes. job writing about this in his book, Give and Take, and the power of being a giver. And we're going to delve into what exactly we mean by that and how the Art of Charm defines giving so that you can be more effective in your personal relationships as well as your professional relationships. And what was so incredible, Adam Grant found that really successful people in business 
end up being givers, which is kind of counterintuitive. So we're going to link to Jordan's episode with Adam Grant, where he interviewed him talking about give and take in the show notes as well. So you can take a look at that. Well, and we're also going to talk about the pitfall of being a giver and where that line is so that you don't put others before your, your own well-being, which is the question that everyone asks once they learn about this, because everybody wants to be a high value person. It's running the risk then of being taken advantage of. And if you're listening to this, chances are you've been taken advantage of. We all have. Yeah, you've given to the wrong people who then use that against you, harmed you in some way. And because of that, now we start to question, well, should I be as giving? Should I be as kind and generous with people who are just looking to take advantage of me? It doesn't take very much either. You get shot a couple of times and you start looking around and before you start handing out and before you start doing favors, you know, you start thinking about it. And then also this is as you get older, the more hits you take without doing any sort of work on yourself. It's where you become bittered and salty and jaded against the world. And, you know, it, that is certainly not a very good way of going through life either. And in my 40s, I see that around me with a lot of my friends. And I certainly don't want to follow after that because I can see how their negative attitude is infecting them and, and the people around them. And of course, their well-being and the work that they're doing. And the one thing that we also want to point out here is that like attracts like. High value individuals attract other high value individuals. So if we can start focusing on ourselves, becoming high value and giving people value instead of taking value from them, we're going to start attracting better people. Right now, low value behaviors will attract other low value people. And the key here is definitely vulnerability. This is not easy. What we're preaching here is not a simple solution. But it's through that vulnerability that we create amazing connections. We welcome awesome people into our lives and we have these really deep relationships. Well, putting this work in on yourself opens the door. You mentioned many things it opens the door on. And those are wonderful, beautiful things. And if you're not able to experience them, you'll stay shut down. And so through this, we're also going to challenge you guys to give some of these things a shot and give you a few social experiments that you can use to you know, hopefully start to see the benefits of this. Yeah, so to start, let's define value for the audience who is not as familiar with that term, or maybe it's a little nebulous for people. So at The Art of Charm, we define value as three specific things. And what are they, Johnny? All right, they're always going to be attention, approval, and acceptance. And they are the three cornerstone things that human beings need as a species in order to feel good about ourselves. And we know this because everything that we do is about collecting more of this for ourselves. And if you think about it, why do we go on social media? Why are we posting that? We're looking for these three things. So attention is pretty straightforward. It's becoming the interest of others. It's getting other people to focus on us. And sometimes we can have an unhealthy amount of attention <laughs> necessary. And we call that narcissism, right? Sure. Where you just absolutely need everyone pining over you. So attention makes a lot of sense. Going on Facebook, chasing those likes on Instagram, that's what we're looking for. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the temperament of people, there's obviously people who get off on that. You mentioned narcissism, and there's a lot of others on that spectrum, such as sociopathy and those things. But how about the people on the other side, right? The introverts who cannot shy away from that, yet... Then you have to figure out a way to still get that attention in the manner that allows you to feel good about it rather than the overwhelming 
all eyes on me, which is an incredibly scary thing. And I know that for a lot of people who come through program, I'd like to get a little bit of more attention my way, but I don't want to go into the spotlight. Right. I don't want it all. <laughs> I just like a little bit more. Of course. Yeah. The second one, approval, slightly different, right? That has encouragement tied to it. So now yes. we're not just getting attention. We're actually feeling good because other people are giving us that appreciation, telling us great job, celebrating us. You're getting cheered on. And when you're getting cheered on, you are feeling good about the, the moves that you're making and it only fuels you to do more of that. And when we're getting encouraged, right, we get this big rush of pride and oh, emotions. we feel great and it makes us go even further, lean in even harder, which is why sometimes we pursue sports and hobbies to get that approval. Now, the third thing, acceptance, that's another basic human need that we all have of being part of a community. We've been fortunate enough over the last 11 years to create this amazing community around the Art of Charm and mm -hmm. this family of individuals who've come through our boot camps, obviously the audience listening. And with that, we're always seeking out community. We're always seeking out tribes that we want to be a part of. Well, how about the, the science that's coming out of the number one killer in older men? And it's a lot loneliness. of loneliness. There's safety in being part of a tribe. There's comfort in being part of the tribe. Here at the Art of Charm, we talk a lot about having three areas of focus, your mental well-being, your physical well-being, and then your emotional well-being. And a large part of your emotional well-being is tied to being accepted, being part of a group, feeling that love from other people and being part of that tribe. And I think a lot of it is having something that's bigger than the sum of you, right? So we have all these people that are looking to you that you can add value to so you feel this need to be there that you're obligated. And with that, obviously, the community has the aspect of protecting us, helping us when we're down. So it's another reason why we've formed these tribes hundreds of thousands of years ago, and we've been continuing to function in these tribes, trying to find security, find strength and protection. Now, with all of this, obviously, there's a reason why we seek this out and why is value so important to us. Well, to begin with, we're flawed characters, and we need to set that up. And I really enjoy Eric Weinstein as an evolutionary biologist who I just love. And he has this saying that evolution is responsible for all the best parts of mankind and all the worst parts of mankind, basically meaning we're a combination of the both. Right. Now that we're a combination of both of those things, we have to look at how the negative stuff affects us. Obviously, the good stuff is that we're able to think, we're able to grasp abstract concepts and consciousness on, on a level that no other species on the planet has, and this has allowed us to survive. What are the negative aspects of humankind that allowed us to survive? Well, that is fear, and that is insecurities, and things that keep us from doing dumb things. Yeah, the mental <laughs> tricks will play on ourselves, those cognitive distortions that go along with consciousness, where we can overthink and overanalyze. That leads to inaction, that leads to personal harm, seeking out drugs, substances to replace some of this value that we're talking about. And this is all tied to dopamine. Yes. Dopamine is a very powerful neurotransmitter, and we've had a number of psychologists through the show over the last decade who talked exactly about this. And if you think about it, that's that same feeling we're getting when we're going on social media. Mm -hmm. We're getting that hit of dopamine. And studies are now showing that 
a lot of these social media properties are actually manipulating us yes. by grouping our likes together to get us to use the app more and getting us hooked on that dopamine rush so that we have the phone constantly tied to our hands and we're constantly obsessively checking it. Well, it gets tied, right, to the insecurities and fears that we have. Rather, and it's funny because, you know, obviously in the past, you could easily feel that with maybe being an extreme sports junkie or drugs or alcohol or shopping or gambling. Now it's built into these things that are first seem like little fun ways to connect with the world, right? Facebook and all this social media. And then all of a sudden they have found out how to manipulate it to hit us in those exact places that those things were able to fill. And they're manipulate on fear and insecurities, just like those things. And of course, because we're riddled with fear and insecurity, we continue to chase those things to feel better. And they've monetized it. <laughs> you just hit the nail on the head so hard. Not only did they figure out how to keep us there, they figured out how to make money out of it. We all know what happens then. Right. So this attention economy is filling one of those basic human needs giving us an opportunity to see all the attention that other people will pay towards us and what we're doing on social media through the like button, through that comment. So obviously we are working with some powerful wiring in our brain through this neurotransmitter. And it is important to recognize how we can harm ourselves from it, but also the flip side, how we could use it to our advantage to help other people, to foster this community, to give value instead of looking to take value. And that's what we ultimately talk about when we say becoming a high value individual. A low value individual is someone that seeks out these three things, attention, approval, and acceptance before giving them. It is in the seeking out of these things that low value behaviors actually harm you and harm the people around you. And it's usually in the long term, like in the short term, they're usually decent strategies to get a quick fix, right? That'll take care of you for now. And of course, because we're flawed or a lot of times we can't see the larger picture, we're going to go for that, knowing that I'll deal with the other stuff later. That is not a very good strategy for developing yourself. And this is why this thing is so important to understand. We laugh about this a lot oh, because yeah. you start to see where people fall on the value scale of high to low value based on their behaviors online, on social media. Oh, that's a great place. And in fact, and anyone that I meet for the first time, I'm always interested to see what their posts are like, because that is a clear indication right there if you want to invite this person into your life. So if we take this to the social media example, instead of being the person that runs to social media to post the most negative things and complain about life and all the different ways you've been wronged, the high value person runs to social media to like other people's stuff, to comment on other people's accomplishments, to allow them to feel good for the reasons that they're posting instead of going there first to check their notifications and see how many likes that profile photo got. And in the last eight years, a lot has changed, right? That's part of the reason we're sitting back down to have this conversation because eight years ago, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter were not nearly as woven into the social fabric that they are now where we are tied to this little device in our pocket and it continually gives us that dopamine hit. It's seeming to me that some of the big players such as Google and Facebook and all this are starting to understand that what they have developed to keep our attention, probably not a good idea. And now they're looking for a way to kind of untie everything and keep everything safe. Good luck with that. Yeah. 
we're kind of like over the line of no return on these things. They're here to stay. We're going to figure something out to keep everything safe. <laughs> exactly that. There was a news release recently about how some executives don't even use the services that they developed because they know the dangers to yep. your mental and emotional yep. well-being. So it is a big issue and it is something that I encourage all of you listening to take a look at your social media use and is it ruling your life? It should be a tool to foster relationships, but it should not be the singular way you get that dopamine. And when you have the most intelligent people on the planet studying how they can get more of your attention, <laughs> they're going to figure it out. We're screwed. We're doomed. <laughs> so unplug, throw the phone out the window and get back to nature, get back to conversation. They have us where they want us and it's up to us to monitor how much of that attention we're going to give them. Now, last time we talked about value, we actually came up with a number scale. And this, in large part, was tied to the fact that as humans, we rate each other based on looks. So we thought it'd be kind of cute to rate each other based on behaviors, with 10 being hot on a look scale, 10 being the best you could be on a high value scale. But in actuality, the numbers were not really as helpful. So we're not going to focus on numbers. We're not looking to rate people. Instead, we want to talk about four different behaviors that you're going to encounter that are all ways to seek these three things, attention, approval, and acceptance. And there is one in particular that we're gonna talk about at the end that we feel should be your goal, what you strive to become so that you are not seeking these things for the wrong reasons, instead you're giving them for the right reasons. So to start with, we feel the lowest value behavior is supplicative. And what does that word mean, Johnny? Because it's an old word, and I know some of our audience has probably never even heard it. Yeah, it's an old word. It means to beg. And obviously, if we're talking about attention, approval, and acceptance, that's exactly what you're doing. You're going out of your way to beg for attention, approval, and acceptance. And there's many ways of doing this. And so think of it like if I had asked you to walk into a bar and ask 50 people this evening to please like me, how would you feel about that? You'd feel pretty bad about yourself. You'd feel after the first couple that I don't want to do this anymore. Sure. And I don't think anybody out there listening to this would want to have to do that as a mission. That's terrifying. But here's the thing of it. If you wouldn't want to verbally say that to somebody, then why would you allow your behaviors and actions to say that for you if those things speak louder than words? Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. 
You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data. And a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is not just how we can verbally supplicate. This is also how we can non-verbally supplicate because we know that non-verbal communication is often more powerful than verbal communication when we're dealing with strangers, when we're dealing with people we aren't really comfortable with. Well, also your body language and your behavior and actions, those are usually subconscious. So you don't know that you're doing them. When I speak from a low value position, I have to choose and commit to those words. I have to think about what I'm saying. So there's a conscious part of that that's committing to this. But if I'm doing actions and behaviors that I've grown up to learn how to do to get attention, approval, acceptance, then I'm not going to think about it, especially if it works. And some of these behaviors have been ingrained since we were kids. Of course. It started out with us seeking those three things, attention, approval, acceptance from your parents. Yeah. And what would be the first way you learn to do that? As a kid? Yeah. Yeah. You're crying. Gonna be crying. You're going to be emotional to get a reaction. Obviously, the older you get, the less those things work. And so you start to think, well, crying used to get me these things. Crying isn't doing that anymore. Now I have to figure out another way of getting that. So obviously how you're raised has a lot of influence on this, but also this is how strong that reward system is, that it is now chipping away at behaviors to give you a personality that you have developed to get these things. And this is why we continue to say that this is programming. Looking at this 
from this perspective, what we're doing right now is attempting to reprogram. So step one is identify. Identify these behaviors in yourself. And then step two is to realize there's actually a better way to go about this. And I think sometimes, right, based on the way we were raised and the influence of our family and the way we were nurtured, we start to think there's really only one or two ways, right? We only use the tools that we're given. So part of the boot camp experience is to give you more tools so that you can be more effective and not rely on some of these lower value behaviors to get that attention, approval, and acceptance. Well, and as we move through this, you're going to see more and more behaviors that you might do. And of course, that I know that in the past I have done it and working to continue getting better as I move forward. But there's also high value behaviors that you probably have developed as well. And to be honest with yourself, to decipher, okay, these are low value behaviors that I commit to, and these are the high value behaviors that I commit to. I wanna do more of these, less of these. And then it's about what process am I gonna put in place to allow that to happen? These are questions that will be answered a little later. So. Talking again about body language, some simple things that we do to supplicate, mostly center around making yourself smaller, becoming the victim, and trying to get attention because of that victimhood. Yeah. And once again, we can go to social media about victim mentality. I'm sure everyone here has a friend or two that's seen to post their new ailment every day. I know I have those people and they get the unfollow SWAT so I don't have to, yeah, to see that. Yeah, you hear about all the things their <laughs> boss has done to wrong them, all the ways their coworkers have hurt them, or even the weather and how their allergies are acting up. And, you know, I think this is probably one of the worst problems with social media as in, let's just say that you have a small social circle and you play the victim. You're going to wear out your friends. And social media... You have a whole world of people that you need to bother out, right? And so if you already lose this set of friends, you maybe can roll into another group or other people haven't seen enough of this, so they'll buy in. And it perpetually keeps this in motion. And you can't understand that these are bad habits and bad behaviors that you need to get rid of. And because you have an endless flood of people giving you that attention, you don't make any of these moves. And that's a bad spot to be in. And this is why you need friends to say, hey, stop it. <laughs> One of the things we talk about constantly on the show is having those high value friends because you are the sum of the people you're closest to. So as we start to look at these behaviors in ourselves, also start to look at the behaviors of the people you surround yourself with. Yes. You're going to find a lot of reinforcement there. You're oh, yeah. find that in areas where you have these low value behaviors, where you supplicate, you probably have other friends who are doing this exact same behavior around you, like attracts like. Mm -hmm. So with our body language, getting small, crossing our arms, closing ourselves off, being meeker, even lowering your voice. Absolutely. And it's another way of you can become invisible. Right. Exactly that. We are trying to make ourselves invisible through our actions and through our words. We're talking about the victim mentality. When you take that on, you're also giving up any sort of control that you might have to make any of these changes because you're pointing the finger. It's everyone else's fault. That's right. It's my boss's fault that I didn't get the raise. It's this girl's fault that I didn't get to have this date from Tinder. It's my buddy's fault that I didn't get invited to this party. The weather's fault <laughs> that I'm sick. It's always someone else's fault, right? And that's a key distinction here. 
It is a lack of responsibility. It is refusing to take responsibility for what's happening and your actions and instead blaming, pointing the finger elsewhere. Now with this, and this is something that's a little more nuanced that I think a lot of you might be surprised to hear, positive body language. When we fully face someone and try to get all of their attention immediately, right? Fully facing someone so you're right in front of them, you're giving them full eye contact and presenting yourself fully to them actually is supplicative. It's begging for that attention from the other person. Yeah, you can almost, for the visual of a puppy who no matter which way you turn, he's always in front of you staring at you with his tongue out. And of course, what do you have to do in that moment, right? You have to entertain him. You have to play with him. You have to pat him on the head. Well, imagine a friend doing that. You're like, how long can those behaviors last before you get angry of, please get out of my way? Like, this is a high maintenance issue, right? You're not a cute little dog that I can pat on the head and you'll scurry off. Because once I reward you. <laughs> now we're starting the vicious cycle, right? We're reinforcing the bad behavior. Understanding that giving someone too much positive body language Forcing them to give you all of their attention is actually supplicative behavior. Well, look how easily that gets mixed up with something a lot of our fathers had told us from the time we were young. Make sure you look people in the eye, give them a firm handshake, give them your attention when you're speaking to them. And those are all great things, but not when you're first meeting somebody for the first time. That could be incredibly intimidating. Yeah, overwhelming for the other person. Mm -hmm. Instead, allow them to earn your attention, approval, and acceptance. Don't just give it to them for no reason. Beautiful word, earning it. Now, I want to dig a little deeper into this victim mentality because it does seem to permeate this low-value behavior through and through. Yes. And understanding sort of its root cause. And when we rely on victimhood to get that attention, we are attracting the wrong type of people. Those people who are high value do not have much patience for people who don't take personal responsibility. Yeah, so they're gone. Right. And all of a sudden, you're going to whittle down your friend group to a bunch of other victims who want to yell at the sky, everything is wrong with the world. And now your behaviors are rationalized because everyone around you is doing it. So how could you be wrong? So it becomes <laughs> tough to fight your way out of that. So recognizing these moments when you are being supplicative, and the other funny part about supplicating, begging for that attention, is becoming too agreeable, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're worried that if we say the wrong thing, we say something negative, we disagree with the person, that that person can take their attention away. That person cannot show us approval. That person might not accept us. So we try to avoid ruffling any feathers, and all of a sudden we come agreeable AJ, where that's cool, awesome, rad, gnarly, me too, I love that, I love this, I love that. When you're in that situation, especially when you're on the other side, it's off-putting. You're like, come on, relax. I know I'm not that cool. I know I'm not that interesting. Can you just calm down here? And that is a tendency that I've had in my own life. It happened in particular when I was in graduate school. So I sought out a high-powered lab at the University of Michigan. When I joined the lab, my boss was traveling around the world. He was pretty famous giving talks and being the editor of a number of top tier biology journals. And he wasn't in the lab. So I didn't have much opportunity to get his attention, approval or acceptance. And I thought he was 10,000 times smarter than me. I thought he was a genius and I always put myself below him. So by putting him on this pedestal, 
every time I saw him, I just tried to become agreeable. Like, oh yeah, I agree with that. I agree with this. And he started to pick up on it and kind of set these little traps for me where knowing that I would agree to something that wouldn't make any sense, then he could say, (laughs) hey, you're wrong. And it took me a while to really realize what was going on. And it was just because he was just getting sick of me seeking out this attention, approval, and acceptance needlessly. How did you feel when you worked that out? I felt very, (laughs) very, very stupid. It took years after. And it actually led to a lot of imposter syndrome, feeling like I didn't belong, feeling like I wasn't smart enough because the only tool I had to use was to supplicate to my boss and it certainly wasn't working. This low value behavior was turning him off and making him invest less time in me. And obviously, if you've ever gone to graduate school, you understand that your PI, your principal investigator, who's helping you work towards this thesis you need him in your corner. You mm-hmm. need him to challenge you, yes, but you also need him to believe in you and support you. So my only tool for getting support was to <laughs> supplicate, to beg for it. And he was just like, not interested. I don't have time for this. Well, look how easy this is, right? The way you placed it, it was in the lab, right? Imagine we could take it in any direction as a young person. And the, the young kid in the neighborhood who sees the older kids hanging out down the block, Right. As a young kid who sees the older kids hanging out, you obviously the easiest thing to do is you want to become a part of that, too. And so you start hanging out, you start hanging around that minute you get any sort of attention, approval and acceptance that you earn it from that crowd. You're all in. And I know for myself, when I was a young man, didn't think that I was the kind of person who would get lured into peer pressure. <laughs> no one thinks no one thinks everyone that. thinks that's for someone else oh yeah tim he's easily peer pressured but me oh not me no obviously at that time when you're a young man like your teenagers or whatnot you don't understand how the human mind works no and you don't understand its conditioning so you get a little praise and next thing you know you're the one driving the car on some silly thing that the guys want to do, like mailbox baseball or something like And next thing you know, your dad's picking you up at the police station, chewing you out, and you're standing in the back corner like, I don't know how the hell that happened. <laughs> this behavior was prevalent in, in my high school years, too. I was a freshman in high school, and we didn't have a JV team. It was a small Catholic high school growing up. So I made the varsity football team. I had no business being on the varsity football team. I weighed a buck 25. I was five foot eight, tiny nothing, but everyone made the varsity. So I'm on the varsity team and I'm trying to impress the seniors. I'm trying to win their approval, their attention, their acceptance as part of the team. And they would do a lot of different things to screw around with the young freshmen. And it was raining, cats and dogs. And before practice, me and my other freshman classmates wanted to go get some food before we got in our football gear and went hit the practice field. And of course, the seniors had the cars. So there was this one senior in particular. He was a giant guard on the offense and he was a linebacker on the defense. And he fell asleep in study hall. And we took his car keys and we sneak out and it's me and two buddies, and we're playing hot potato with the car keys. Who's actually going to steal his car? And I end up with the car keys, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to win their approval, (laughs) attention, acceptance. I'm just going to go ahead and do it, right? Yeah. So put the car keys in the ignition. I start driving, and immediately some other teammates of ours who didn't hop in the car alert the senior that his car is now stolen. (laughs) So I have the starting middle linebacker of the football team running out of the school, chasing me down the street. Is there anyone scarier than the middle linebacker on any football team? (laughs) Even though I was in a car, I still felt terrified. 
<laughs> so I'm making a turn to get around the median and go the other direction on this road. And I've never driven a car before. Oh, no. I hit the gas, panic, hop the median. And at this oh, point, my. I'm coming right back into the school parking lot. And now he is absolutely livid because his car just jumped the curb. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the school parking lot. My two buddies dive out of the car. So I just follow suit. I don't put it in park. I don't hit the brake. I just dive out of the car. And as I'm diving out, my buddy who's in the back seat, he realizes that, holy cow, AJ is just diving out of this car. <laughs> he jumps over the seat and hits the brake as the car love taps the vice principal's car. And now I'm terrified that I'm going to get yeah. beaten to a pulp and expelled because <laughs> I just hit the assistant that. principal's car. Well, the senior thought it would be funnier to delay the inevitable. So the entire practice, he pretends like it's cool, like everything's fine. But every time there's a police siren, yeah. the whole team looks and looks goes, oh, <laughs> they're coming for you, AJ. <laughs> they so figured for out two hours, that, I was tortured. And what did I do, right? I then switched into please like me. And I begged this senior <laughs> for the rest of the year. And I ended up buying him lunches. I was doing everything <laughs> to win his favor back because I was convinced he held my future in the palm of his hand. He could have got me expelled. So there's been a number of times in my life where I've fallen into this supplicative trap. We are not here to say that we are above all of this? Absolutely not. In fact, we're trying to show you how easy it is to fall into this. And when you don't have the right tools, some of these low-value behaviors become the easiest solution to a problem. And if you don't learn any new skills, they're going to be with you until you do. This is why you continue to run into the same problems over and over and over again until you've made those changes. It's funny to me, because I certainly see a lot of posts on social media of people saying New Year, same problems or <laughs> like these types of things. It's like every January. The best part of this, these fixes can be really easy. Obviously, sometimes addiction and things like that, they're a little harder. But a lot of this can be cleaned up pretty easy with some good ideas. So, so why does victim mentality create the low value behaviors? The minute you point the finger, you are not in control of what's going on. You cannot make changes because they're not your fault. And responsibility is a main key for you to be a high-value guy. Whereas in low-value behaviors, low-value people look for ways to give up that responsibility at any chance because they don't want to be responsible to have to make those changes. Why? Because change is scary. This supplicative behavior is what leads most of our guys who come through the program to end up in the dreaded friend zone, right? It's putting her on the pedestal and it's begging for that attention, approval, and acceptance, agreeing with everything, going along with any little favor, currying favor constantly to win her attention back. And a lot of times, and you'll hear from women listeners, that this is very unattractive behavior right? It's yep. a low value behavior and it's completely unattractive. So we want to avoid being supplicative at all costs. The second low value behavior that we want to talk about now, these are the flamethrowers. These are the trolls online. <laughs> this is that combative mentality. Yes. Combative behavior. 
what it is that makes it different than the supplicative behavior is the supplicative behavior is all about begging for attention, approval, acceptance, where the combative individual is all about taking attention, approval, and acceptance. Now think about it. We talked about some ways that you can beg for attention, approval, acceptance. Once again, you wouldn't want your behaviors and actions to do that if you wouldn't want to say that. So you could think of the combative person as the guy, you mentioned the trolls or the guy going into a bar to let everyone know how much they suck, right? You're going to put everyone down. And once again, I know that good people and a lot of you listeners are no one here is the kind of person that wants to go into a bar and piss people off and tell people they suck. However, if you wouldn't verbally want to do that, once again, why would you allow your behaviors and actions to say that for you? And if a lot of your behaviors and actions are unconscious, then you don't know you're doing it. And therefore, we're going to tell you what a lot of those behaviors look like. Yeah. And the combative side of the coin, I think is really interesting because the Supplicative is inward, right? The supplicative is all make yourself smaller, become meeker, quieter, don't ruffle any feathers. The combative is swinging completely the opposite side of the pendulum. Yes, he's inflating himself. And I want you to think of it as in how people would act in the face of fear, where the supplicative person in the face of fear gets Shuts smaller. Down. The combative person in the face of fear inflates, takes off his shirt, starts screaming, and starts pounding on his chest. We all know that the combative people who love to pound on their chest quickly turn into the supplicative person when they get popped. <laughs> when they actually get tested. Yep. Right? Everyone loves to run their mouth until the punches are thrown. Hey, it's a good strategy. Sometimes it's better than being supplicative. So it's important to realize that fighting to win people's attention, approval, and acceptance is also not a good strategy. I think a lot of people relegate. We talk about putting people down. Everyone knows bragging, boisterous, bloated people love to talk about all the stuff that they have going on. We can also throw in there ignoring people or just being dismissive at others. Talking over people. Talking over people. Right. Stealing that attention, approval, acceptance from others. How many times have you been in conversation where you're excited to share something and person you're talking to just cuts you off, just keeps going, interrupts you? It's awful, and it always gets to the point like, why am I talking to this person? <laughs> They're right. not listening. And it's that endless stream of negativity we're talking about here, where it's constantly looking for other people's flaws, constantly looking to point out other people's problems and issues instead of confronting and working with through your own. We talked about how being younger or what things could cause you to become supplicative and think that's a strategy. So now we could talk about a few ways that some people think that being combative is a strategy. And I think the easiest one to go to right out of the gate is you've been supplicated for too long. You've been taken advantage of. So now you swing the pendulum. And you're going to demand it. Now you're the tough guy. And that word, you can get around a few people. You're not going to fool them all. No. <laughs> and then when pressed, you have a whole nother set of problems. Right. And what happens <laughs> when you encounter that person that is stronger than you, that has trained more than you? that is an actual fighter. What do you do then, right? And a lot of times when that happens, we drop right back down to supplicative, right? So these two levels of the value scale are closely linked and you can oscillate between the two based on the crowd you're in. Yeah, and know that if you're being argumentative for the sake of being argumentative or looking for conflict because you know most of the time people will back down, especially if you're dealing with a room of supplicative people, you 
go through maybe your formative years being the bully, getting away with a few things, you continue to embolden yourself more and more. And then we're talking about this whole new realm of reality that's virtual. So let's say that you take this alter ego that you developed online and all of a sudden he's getting fans because of how crude and rude you are. This behavior <laughs> online is rewarded with that attention, approval, and acceptance. Don't feed the trolls, right? This behavior can get you those three things online where there is a virtual world. There's not the physical, actual damage that could be caused by being combative physically with someone. So we'll be verbally combative. We'll cut people down. We'll tell them they suck in the comments. We'll tell them how awful they are and how much better we are. So that combative personality is outward and it also comes through volume. We all know those people who talk louder, like to shout in the bars, try to get all of that attention on them, right? They're bumping into people. They're taking up way more space than necessary to prove that they are someone of great importance. I think one of my biggest pet peeves against combative people is their unwillingness to take any sort of criticism and to immediately uh. lash back. And the minute I see that, I know that this person cannot be anywhere near me because if you're not willing to have a conversation, if you're not willing to present an argument, if you feel that you need to win something over on me, I love all that stuff. I love discourse. But the minute that we can't have that dialogue, it shuts everything down. Absolutely. Combative people obviously can drive you up a wall. We try to avoid them. Yeah. They are the people in stealing this attention, approval, and acceptance that we as high value people run from. We want nothing to do with the attention that they draw. And they are the type of people that'll put you in those negative situations that have real legal, physical ramifications. So if you find yourself surrounded by the combative person who's demanding that attention, and I used to have a friend like this, I had a friend that He'd go out to the bar, we'd have some fun, we'd talk to some people, and the second girls started to give him the cold shoulder and a couple extra beers, all of a sudden he's like, I'm finding someone to beat him to a pulp, yep. to prove that I'm a man, to prove that I am worthy of this attention. And unfortunately, he got in a fight at my ex-girlfriend's apartment, and Ugh. he got punched, he called his other friends, they came and they oh broke my. this guy's arm. My girlfriend at the time was like, how are you friends with this guy? How is this guy in your life? So understanding that this combative behavior is one, low value, but two, even if you're not, just associating yourself with combative people scares off high value people yes. and can actually put you in a precarious enough situation where you end up incarcerated. You know, I think the reason why I'm so adverse to dealing with these people is because I had been one of these people. I think the reason why I've been so hard on dealing with these people is because I know in the past that I had been one of these people. And just like with all these behaviors and actions, you know, at certain times in my life, I've demonstrated them only to learn what I wanted to aspire to and which behaviors I wanted to get away from. But, you know, growing up in a small town, I grew up about 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in an industry town that was boarded up already before I got there. And in, with industry all leaving that area, the Rust Belt. The Rust Belt. Uh, I, I grew up in a place where there was a lot of anger and a lot of people felt cheated and a lot of people felt that it was everyone else's fault but their own. And I'm sure a lot of it when it comes to changing areas and gentrification and being in that place. So I'm surrounded by it. I'm certainly my, I watched my dad go through it. And of course, that sort of attitude was handed down to me 
life's not fair. It's going to be tough. You need to be angry. You need to show everyone that you're not going to take this. And then, of course, as a young man, I went out into the world. And that sort of attitude gave me a few wins that allowed me to lean into it only to I can only get so far. I can only achieve so much. And I feel like I'm being stopped. Kind of hit a wall. Exactly. And it's one of those things where the tools that you have only allowed you to get to this certain place. I felt like there was a glass ceiling keeping me from getting to where I need to go. And it was once again, when I was able to take responsibility for my actions and saw the ones that I wanted to change and exchange for better ideas, for better tools, that I finally got through that ceiling. And not only did I get through it, I realized that it didn't even exist. Right. It, it was, was only the tools. Yeah. It was all of your own personal making. Yep. And here's the thing. Misery loves company. It certainly does. And this is the combative person. He is miserable. She is miserable. So the you suck mentality, this is not just behavior that men have. I've encountered combative women. Of course. Who are looking to yeah. tear down other women. We <laughs> talked a lot with Aaron, our coach here, about this exact concept. Well, because men, the violence or the combativeness usually comes to physical. Right. For women, it's character assassination. assassination. Emotional warfare, right? Emotional warfare. And some of the most brutal stuff I had ever I've seen. Encountered. To watch a circle girls turn on one of their friends and cast her out and go to town. Whoa. And I do my best to stay clear away. So if I see these types of behaviors from anyone... I'm quick to get out of there because why? Once again, we know what we're bringing in our life when we're seeing these behaviors. And that's why we're talking about them today. Now, the third low value behavior outside of supplicative and combative is competitive. Competition here can get you a lot out of society. It can get you a great job. It can get you paid. It can put food on the table. Competition works well in sports. A lot of the hobbies we get involved in as kids, it fosters this competitive mindset, right? Even mm -hmm. video games, you, you want to get to the next level, you want to beat this. So competitive is kind of a mirage because you can get some good things out of life through being competitive, but it doesn't, like Adam Grant talks about, get you to that next level. And why it's tricky is because if you look at the other values, this is the first time that we're going to see ourselves take responsibility. Why? Because you're going to have to take responsibility if you're going to get better at what you're doing. That puts you in competition. And so now that you start to take a little responsibility, you start to get some wins and you start to move forward. And that's the mirage. Right. Because all of a sudden you rack up a few of these wins, you start getting that attention yep. and approval and acceptance and you go, well, wait a second, I want to keep it right now. I'm getting it. I want to keep it. I don't want the other person to get it. So it's the one upper. It's the person who drives a better car than you, makes more money than you, has a better job than you, went to a better school than you. That competitive mindset, top to bottom, understanding that is still a low value behavior, even if you're winning, even if you are one upping. That gets you in trouble. As I mentioned, because you're competing, you found some wins, you're starting to lean into it. You start to think, ah, this is the way. And what happens is you're getting value, but this value is being given to you externally. And that's where the problem lies. Competition is fostered by scarcity, scarcity mindset. We compete because we think resources are scarce. And if we don't get ours, we will be screwed. It is not the abundance mindset that we talk a lot about on the show and in our boot camp. Understanding that a scarcity mindset leads to unhealthy competition, 
and understanding that there is an abundance of options, whether it's dating, whether it's work, whether it's education, whether it's hobbies, whether it's this attention, approval, and acceptance. When you stop competing for it and treating it like a scarce resource, you can actually shift things in the direction of winning on a real scale, not the fake winning that you're feeling through competing. When we focus on these externals, it is fleeting. It is an endless run on a treadmill. If you are not fulfilled internally, if you do not have this value internally and you're seeking it externally, it is a rat race that you will never win. You might have a few victories here and there. That's enough to get you on the treadmill. Right. You (laughs) might win a couple battles, but you're not going to win that war. There's always going to be someone bigger than you. There's always going to be someone stronger than you, faster than you, who makes more money than you. And we talk about this a lot, how this can wear you down, the constant comparing. And this is how, again, social media comes into play. It's a lot of work to be competitive. Yeah, We're curating your Instagram profile. You got to get the right shots. And I just heard of this new term, Rinsta, which is (laughs) the idea that Instagram is so full of fakes and you having to set up the perfect shot that you have a Rinsta, which is your real Instagram. You don't share with anyone. And that's just a way for you and your real friends to interact and show all the silly things and, and be a little more comfortable. Oh my God. Right. Because Instagram (laughs) has become so over curated and everyone wants to be an influencer. Everyone wants these likes, this attention, approval, and acceptance that now you kind of had to create a second fake profile. That's actually a real profile where you can post that sloppy bowl of spaghetti you ate without getting a bunch of hate. Just how much work this is. Right. And this (laughs) concept of comparing and contrasting. Whereas if someone else gets a win, then you have to point out the other areas that you want in. You can't just allow the other person to take the win, feel good about themselves, and share in that. You have to constantly confront them with all the different ways you have bested them. So everyone is putting on their best face on social media. They want to see, in fact, they won't even share silly stuff now. They're getting the bomb of the stuff on Rinsta. I'm learning something new every day. And as a regular person, you're seeing this. How many of these profiles can you see before you're just like, what am I doing? Right, I'm worthless. <laughs> My life's terrible. I'm not in Barbados. I'm not on a private jet. I don't have a Lamborghini. And then you stop, realize, taking a step back that, hey, there's always going to be someone with a better Ferrari. There's always going to be uh, someone going on a nicer jet that's going to be going to a nicer destination. It is an endless stream of competition that leads to that external validation, which never fulfills you. Well, yeah. And all the science is coming back. If you get involved in comparing and contrasting, you will find yourself in depression rather quick. And if you continue to feed into it, you might not be able to find your way out of it. And I'll tell you this, we definitely see a lot of this in LA. And when I encounter the one-upper, the person who name drops, who knows everyone, who always has an in and a better event, a better club, a better whatever, I run the opposite direction. I literally try to avoid these people because when I have them in my life, it forces me to do the same thing. I fall into that trap where I'm being externally validated. I'm second guessing. Why don't I have that nice watch? Well, my car isn't as fast. My car's a year older than his. Oh, wow. They made more money than we did last year. Their revenue is higher. And that can wear you down. And when you surround yourself with that, You feel like a loser. You feel like you're never going to win. And Mm -hmm. Johnny said, that's a one-way ticket to depression. That can be very hard to fight your way out of. Yes. 
We've covered three low-value behaviors. Yes, supplicative, combative, and competitive. Thank you again for joining us here at The Art of Charm. We had a blast discussing what value means, defining it. I know it's a word we talk a lot about here at The Art of Charm. So understanding that value is that acceptance, that approval, and that attention to allow other people to feel good around us. We also discussed some low-value behaviors that we might encounter in other people or even sometimes situationally we might project out in the world, the lowest being supplicative, begging for someone's attention, approval, and acceptance. We talked about combative, how taking that attention, approval, and acceptance from others is also low-value. And the third low-value behavior that we talked about was competitive, constantly looking to compare and one-up yourself to prove to other people that you are high-value is a low-value behavior. Next week, we're going to tackle what it means to be high-value, defining what that cooperativity is, showcasing how it impacts your life, and ultimately talking about the impact that low-value people will have on our lives As always, we're going to be delivering amazing toolbox content for you here at The Art of Charm. If you're wondering where Jordan Harbinger is, he's at his new show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, which you can find on Podcast One and in iTunes, and we'll go ahead and link it up in the show notes here for you guys to check it out. We highly suggest you subscribe and enjoy all that amazing interview content that he's been delivering over the years. Look forward to chatting with you next week and defining what it means to be high value. Have a great week.